This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Good morning. I am Glenn the Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 10th, episode 2265. Good morning, Horse World. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned, and completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Happy birthday, happy birthday, happy, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Karen. Thank you. I'm making you work on your birthday. I I know. That's okay. (laughs) I think this is the first time, though, in all the years we've been doing this, that it's been your birthday. It's the first or second time. Yeah. We did it once before. So we, I was trying to figure it out earlier, and I, I, it just was taking too long to figure out when you actually started doing the endurance show. I think it was six or seven years ago. It was. I know it was at least six years ago. Might yeah. have been seven. Well, uh-huh. if we figure you started doing that when Jamie went back to three days a week because she was pregnant and having a baby, and I think Lucas is six years old now. So that would be about right. Yes. Wow. It would be six or seven years every Uh month for six or seven years talking about endurance riding. And people thought we would run out of guests. We'd run out of things to talk about. I know. No, there's always ongoing stuff because people are out there doing all sorts of adventures. Speaking of which, we don't have a producer with us today. Jennifer's going to join us a little later to talk about saddle pads. But um, we we do have a fun lineup for today. We have many guests, don't we? We do. We have the winner of the Mongol Derby, who is 70 years old. He's going to explain to us what he did to prepare and get ready for such an event. We're also going to be talking about the Ride with GPS app, which some rides are now using for marking the trail so that the riders have step-by-step instructions, including voice cues telling them where and when to turn. And finally, we're going to be talking to Angela Wood, who has driven her horses literally across the country over 4,000 miles so far with like another 3,000 more to go. And you did an interview while she was staying at your house. We did. Yes. And that was fun to listen to because, you know, I think everybody has a dream about doing something like this if you're a horse person. Uh, But Mm -hmm. that's a long road. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about long distance driving. That's long distance driving. It for sure is. And our horses look fantastic. They've got good weight. They look just great. You would never know that that they had done what they've done and in 13 months. Long time list. And it's funny because Karen said, well, she's going to be stopping by, but I'm going to wait to do the interview until I see how her horses look. And because I long time <laughs> listeners will know we wouldn't have her on if the horses didn't look good. And if it, they looked great in the pictures. They did. And I got a video of them where she turned them around and backed them up down my driveway. And just like, um, and she says, I, I rarely ever back up. <laughs> but they did great. <laughs> they did great. And um, well, as you're here, too, they aren't your typical driving horses either. 
Right. They, yeah. I'm sure they're well into their routine of what's what, and um, they're good eaters, so obviously they're handling the trip well. They're, what surprised me is they're both completely different sizes. One of them's much larger than the other one, but uh, there's no rub marks or tackles or anything on them. They both look just fantastic, just like you went and took them right out of the pasture. This poor woman, she stays with horse people all across the country, and she knows damn well every one of those horse person or horse people are checking her horses over <laughs> that's gotta be that's gotta be somewhat uh, disconcerting knowing every place you stay there's they're checking your horses with a microscope <laughs> well the 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 good part though is like she had she's mentioned on her facebook page which we'll put we can post the link to later but um She's really appreciative of how much everybody's helped her out along the way with helping, uh, keeping her horses fed and feeding her. And uh, so she's really appreciative of that. She's raised over $5,000 to go towards Children's Hunger, which is her um, charity that she's driving for. And I was thinking about it, too. This can't be a cheap trip. I mean, she's, uh, you know, she's she's having to buy food the whole way and, and do all of this. So that, you know, she's putting out some money to make this happen as well. Well, she's feeding strategy, healthy edge, a lot and some other stuff plus, Hey, but the horses are eating uh, 15 pounds a day each of the strategy. Plus they're eating probably 20 to 30 pounds of hay a day. So that can really add up. Yeah, um, it adds up. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of us that have hosted her, you know, I gave her a bale of hay. Um, my feed store contributed a couple um, bags of feed. Oh, so nice. she is getting some donations and stuff along the way. But yes, I'm sure um, it's definitely, uh, and she can only carry like four days of food with her at once. Yeah. Yeah, not to mention she's she's had to camp a few nights. <laughs> so you'll hear more about that later as you talk to her. But first, we had Tevis happen uh, in the meantime here. Give us kind of a review of we, Tevis, which, of course, is did. the the tra- the ultimate trail ride, endurance ride here in the United uh, States. Exactly. 100 miles in one day. It's, this year we had, I believe it was 184 finished, or 184 started, excuse me, and 98 finished, which put it at a 93 completion rate. First place was Sonoma Blakely, and she's only 18 years old. And you may remember, I think three or four years ago, her brother Barack Blakely won the Hagen Cup. So, so this is a super, very competitive and very successful family. A Hagen Cup was ridden. Uh, Monk ridden by Lindsay Fisher, who finished in ninth place, and that was Monk's fifth consecutive top 10 finish. And then uh, as far as I went, I um, crewed for Mark Montgomery, who we've had on the show a few times. His horse, um, Cody, won the Hagen Cup last year. This year he had four horses in that I crewed for with his wife and my other friend, and all four finished. Wow. So we we were excited about that. And so the Mustangs did really well again this year as far as their completion rates. I believe seven out of eight of the Mustangs finished. So so that finish rate's pretty good, actually. Or is it compared to other years? How was it? I, I think it is. I know some years it's been under 50%. Most years it's a little bit over. Um, this year, uh, you know, things were a little different this year because they postponed the ride a month. 
And so I don't, I don't really know how that affected or didn't affect things because I wasn't writing. I do know we had, there was a little less daylight with it being a little bit later than it would have been. So that might have affected. I know that it did seem like there were more writers writing towards the end of the cutoff times. But again, I'm lately I've been writing it more. So I, I'm not aware of those things. So I might have just seen a different aspect of it because of uh, the fact that I was crewing. What's it like crewing for four horses on a ride? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, no pressure. <laughs> And no sleep. I've got to tell you about the night before. So we get a hotel room in Auburn so that once we stop at Roby Park, we drive up to Auburn. That way we're ready to get a really early early start to drive into the first vet check. So we, we get to the hotel room, which is all great. And we get checked in only because we reserved the room so late. We only had one bed for three people. So we had to work out who and where and what and all of that. So we finally get to bed. We, we've got the crew stuff all separated and organized and ready to go in the morning. And we get ready to go to bed and like two feet from my bed is an air conditioner and it's been like a hundred degrees in Auburn. So the air conditioner sounds like a semi truck coming down a grade. We've <laughs> all stayed in that room. <laughs> it's like two feet from my head. Yep. And so it's, we've all, you know, or it blows right on you oh, all night. Exactly. <laughs> and it can't really turn it off because it's going to get so friggin' hot so yep. fast. Yep. So we turned it down <laughs> as much as we could. So then this hotel room, of course, the whole the whole entire hotel was like filled full of Tevis people, crews and volunteers and veterinarians. So like our whole floor was full of mostly crew people. So and I looked and we're like right around the corner from the ice machine. And I'm thinking, oh, that's great. We can top off our ice chests in the morning. So I looked at my clock when I started hearing the ice machine rumble. And it was the kind where like it's in the door of a fridge yep. where it's. <laughs> Making that clunk, clunk, yep. clunk, clunk. One twelve in the morning, the Tevis crew started collecting ice out of the ice machine. So by the time you got there, there was no ice left. There, exactly. There was enough to, <laughs> to just put a couple cups in one little cooler. That was just about all there was. But then now the crews are going in and out, up and down the hallway, slamming doors, hauling all their stuff back outside. And I finally said, look, we might as well just get up. <laughs> Because we're not sleeping anyway. <laughs> there was no point. So I, I kind of figured, you know, maybe I should just ride the ride. Because when I ride, I usually sleep like for three hours. But when I crew, I didn't sleep at all. <laughs> and then you're up for 24 at least. I mean, for... yeah, it was kind of crazy, but... It Actually, it was kind of fun. The three of the writers we crewed for were international writers uh, from Israel and Australia. So how is it for them? I mean, is this is Tevis known worldwide? It's the ride that every it's the ride. I think so, because yeah. it always attracts several international writers. Um, yeah, I'm sure for some of them, it's a little bit of a surprise as far as you know, the difficulty of it goes, especially if they're not able to ride on any kind of similar terrain in yeah. their country. Yeah, because, it, I mean, some of them aren't used to the mountains like that. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Ex exactly. And so, um, like, the one is really the boy I was crewing for. He was really sweet. We met him on Friday, but I don't think he really remembered me. So when he comes into Robinson's and 
I start telling him what to do and to follow me. And he looks at me. He says, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) I said, I'm Karen. I'm your crew. Just follow me. (laughs) (laughs) And he did. He was very polite. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, that's good. I'm glad the Mustangs did so well. We're seeing a lot more of them than we used to. We are. And I think the majority, well, by far, were horses that Mark had personally started and then sold. And they're in the hands of new owners, and they finished. So that's all nice to see. You know, he well, the word gets out, long... and you know that's uh-huh. it's important because right. we still have so many sitting in the holding pens. You know, uh, exactly, so, yeah. exactly. Well, yeah, good. and they fared well. I mean, look at how many, six out of eight of the Mustangs finished. That's better than the I, average. So I think it was seven out of eight. Actually, well, there you go. Because they're tough. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. They are. They are. You know, and he knows how to select them, and he puts a a good long base on them. Well, they have tougher feet, too, usually. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, just everything's tougher about them. Their bones are tough. Everything's tougher. (laughs) Yeah. Well, good. Good. I'm glad to see that. So, um, you got elected to do something. I did. Were you the last one standing at the meeting? I think probably (laughs) so. Uh, The AARC board approved uh, appointing me to the chair of the junior committee. I think that's perfect. And you've worked with juniors your whole career. so Yes, decades. And I've been on the junior committee before. So this this is going to be interesting being the chair. I'll get to um, help choose who else gets to be on the committee with me. And hopefully we'll um, be looking out for the juniors and uh, actually produce some results with um, writing some articles and putting together some programs. Does that mean and, you're in the middle of the safe years. sport battle? I, yeah, probably a little <laughs> bit. Yes. In fact, I did ask the ARC president to keep me informed of what's going on on that front because I know they're finally starting to um, put together a, um, some sort of policy. Yeah, because you guys aren't with the USCF anymore, not with the US Equestrian anymore. So you kind of have to do it right. on your own, right? Yeah, and endurance is quite a bit different than most of the other sports. You know, most for the most part, it's a lot of families. Right. Or, um, you know, when you ride with these kids for years, you know, they sort of like become your families. But um, it's quite a bit different because we do need to sometimes travel together to and from the rides. And we do training rides and stuff while you're sleeping in campers you're it's all kinds of weird you know stuff exactly so it's quite a bit different than say the gymnasts or the swimmers that just hire coaches to coach them so i I know that is going to complicate things i took the safe sport training a few months ago and um you know there are things i like about it and things that concern me about you know some of the reporting processes and i'm sure you guys have probably yeah, covered the podcast especially here on the things. on the horse radio network podcast and also heels down have done some excellent episodes here recently on that very topic okay. we kind of avoided it here in horses in the morning cuz we like to stay a little lighter speaking uh, of right. which Setting up good habits. It's your endurance tip. Uh, something it, that we we all have bad habits, and uh, you know it's so hard to develop good habits. It's much. It's so easy to develop bad habits. It, it is, <laughs> and I and I looked it up, and the scientists say it can take more than two months, but it can take some people more like a year to really develop good habits. And you just have to set up a 
your right procedures for what you want to do to turn your, you know, behaviors into good habits and then stay consistent with doing them. So I was going to talk about um, what to do after each ride or workout, because this will train you to to be aware and hopefully check and find if there's any issues starting to develop in your horse or problems. And also it gets you and your horse ready for doing endurance rides for what happens post ride at, at an actual endurance ride. So what I recommend doing is learning how to check how to check your horse's pulse. And you can do this with like a handheld heart monitor or a stethoscope. I Highly recommend learning how to use a, a stethoscope on checking your horse's pulse. So once you finish a ride or workout, uh, check your horse's pulse. I like to write all this stuff down. So I have a notebook or index cards. This is all good information to have so that you can look back over time and see your improvements. You can look back and see what's normal so that if your horse isn't recovering, then you know that it's definitely, you know, eight beats off of what is normal for that type of a workout. So I like to check the pulse, write it down, um, get the horse cleaned up. And then I like to do, and then this gives the horse a few minutes to kind of let down and cool out so that if something is wrong, like if they're going to get stiff or there's a sore muscle, it will be more likely to show up when you do a trot out. So if you get used to doing a post-ride trot out and back like a hundred feet, this lets you, um, see how your horse is moving, how your horse is feeling. Plus the horse is now getting into the habit of after every ride, like if they're at an endurance ride, they have to go and do a trot out for the vet. After I do that, that trot out is I like to do a second pulse check. Or you could do a CRI when you, you know, check the pulse before you do the trot. And then um, about 60 seconds after you started the trot, do the second um heart rate check to see what the recovery is. And what you want to see is if it's taking you, say, 10 minutes to get the horse, um, you know, cleaned up and then do the trot out, you want to see that that pulse has dropped down from the first time you took it. And then write that down. And then also get your horse used to eating a wet mash. Some horses don't like wet mashes. But if you start giving them after a workout, usually then they're going to be hungry enough and they're going to learn to get used to it. Um, I put a little bit of extra salt or electrolytes or uh, the Redmond Daily Red I put in mine a lot. And so they get used to eating the wet mashes after a workout, which is good because then that applies over to when you're doing an endurance ride. Um, let's see. Uh, I like to record like the date, the length of ride, uh, distance, what the weather was, along with the recoveries. And then you can also put, if you're using a phone app, like we're going to be talking about one coming up, and there's several that you can use. Those are great for documenting your distance and your elevation and stuff like that. Some of the more advanced GPS and integrated heart rate monitors are also good for documenting and keeping track of all of this. 
But really, the best way to keep track of your post-ride recoveries is just to write things down and get used to doing that after every ride, and it will become a habit. And then you're going to start to see, you know, how your horse, you're going to get used to how your horse moves, how your horse trots, you know, check your horse over, see if there's any um, swellings or soreness or every any area that seems sensitive. I always like to palpate my horse's back and just check them over really good and let that become a habit. And then you're going to become way more informed. You can learn to check your horse's gut sounds and skin tinting and stuff just like a vet does. And that's a good thing to start just integrating that into your program so that it becomes a regular habit. Very good. Well, we're next going to go up to our product of the month with Kristen from Distance Depot. We have Jennifer on here, and I think she was the cause of all of your <laughs> troubles uh, for this for picking this particular product line. Right, Jennifer? Uh, I'm afraid I was. <laughs> I, st I started making, making um, Princess and the P demands on saddle pad manufacturers, and Kristen stepped up and assuaged my fears and gave me a paper bag to breathe into. Well, <laughs> so what did you ask of Kristen? Well, I need a saddle pad for Nigel that is efficient at managing sweat because he sweats like crazy and heat to a lesser degree, but it doesn't, I don't need a fat one because then the saddle doesn't fit right. And I want a shaped one because I have an all purpose <laughs> saddle. So as you can see, it, it's getting pretty detailed. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But that's okay because Toclat, you know, all of the pads that we've ordered from them over the years, um, Toclat really doesn't have pads per se sitting on a shelf somewhere. They're all made to order. So custom requests are typically pretty easily handled. We just have to look into it a bit and make sure we're all on the same page and do our best to get you what you're after. So. We're happy to do that. We we stock, of course, the regular English and and um, endurance type pads that are made by Toclat. Um, we have so many; it's too lengthy to talk about, really. But I think the biggest question people ask us about our saddle pads is, what's the difference on those Toclat pads of the wool back and the cool back? So that is a little confusing. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And their wool back is Toclat's version <clears throat> of a wool pad. These darn things wear like iron. Um, you can throw them in the wash. You can hose them off. I have riders doing, you know, um, XP rides. So they're flipping them, which is one of the reasons why a lot of our pads don't have straps. Um, That's what so I do. So, so <laughs> yeah, so they'll flip them on multi-day rides. Um, so that's, that's kind of handy. Um, some of them, of course, can't be flipped because they aren't manufactured that way, but we do have quite a few, <clears throat> pardon me, that, um, that can be. But again, the wool back is a creamy version of their wool. It has little tiny barbs in it, which helps it, um, stick and not slip. So, um, wool back has been a favorite for years and years. Um, and so many saddle styles that the wool-back comes in. It also comes in, um, as I told Jen, um, they have an English wool, which is two pieces of half-inch wool sewn together to make a one-inch pad. And then we stock regular Western wool, which is one-inch wool-back, two pieces sewn together to make a two-inch pad, which for, you know, many of your endurance riders is the perfect pad, not everyone. 
So that's why they have all of these options. They also have a triple thick, which is extremely <laughs> thick. Um, so, and I have ridden in a few of those. Those pads are heavy. <laughs> but, that can also uh, double thought, as a dog bed. Yes. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Or a cat bed in the tack room. We would have cats yes. all over the place. Yes. <laughs> them. So, yeah. But they are great pads. They wear like iron. And the cool back then is available in colors. You can use, you know, if you're switching these around on a bunch of different horses, you can use, um, you know, a color safe bleach for, for you know, antimicrobial reasons. But um, there, it, it's a hospital synthetic, so top of the line synthetic. Um, but whereas like iron comes in fun colors, so great pads. And Toklat has also developed their Matrix T3 line, which you can put inserts in. If you've not um, seen what these inserts can do, um, they're pretty amazing. We have videos on our website of the T3 Matrix Pro inserts and the kinetic absorption. Is that where they drop like a big heavy object on yes. it? Yeah, yes. I've seen that. Overall, I've seen it in person. Drop. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. It is very impressive, um, and they're perforated, so the air goes through a lot of these foams out there. You know, you'd be a little hard, harder pressed to, to breathe through them. Um, so that's nice, top-of-the-line technology for sure. But we also stock um, Supercore saddle pads, and they were originally developed, for those that don't know, for bedridden patients and, and um, this, this material, this um, waffle uh, honeycomb material. Um, was developed originally for people who were wheelchair-bound and hospital bed-bound. Um, so it's very breathable, antimicrobial, and provides a ton of shock absorption. And you hose them off. Super simple um, mm-hmm. to care for, and they're pretty pretty nice pads and widely used in our industry, too. And, um, of course, Skeeto saddle pads have just come back um, they have a new owner, and so we're slowly getting stock back in. We got a, a, a batch in and quickly sold quite a few of them, but we still have a, a small stock of those, um, and they're awesome. Kristen, what was the name uh, that you said? Skeeto. Skeeto, okay. It, it, uh-huh. It's a widely recommended pad for the treeless and the Bob Marshall saddles because it has an open spine channel. We stock them with a three-quarter inch um, open cell foam insert and wool bottoms against the horse. So um, you can take your inserts out and wash them. Um, super nice pads. Tom, the original owner, had done a fabulous job with all the development of these pads. And, and we love the brand. It's, it's a great brand and so many people out there riding in these pads. They have a dry back version, which means the top of it has this funny kind of plasticky wiry looking almost looks like a brillo pad but it's soft um and that goes against your saddle so it keeps the pad in place and doesn't slip out so those are very popular too but some great saddle pad options if you get overwhelmed feel free to call any of us we'd be happy to try and help you get into the right one and what's your number and website address We are, our phone number is 866-863-2349, and the website is thedistancedepot.com. Well, terrific. Thanks, uh, Kristen, for joining us this morning and telling us all about your great saddle pads. Did that help, Jennifer? Did that help? (laughs) I feel so much smarter now. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Or I've confused you totally. Karen, is it your birthday? It is. Yeah, happy birthday. Thank you. I thought I saw that on Facebook. Hope you have a great day, you guys. Thanks.
29 again. <laughs> Thanks, Kristen. Appreciate Thanks, it. I think uh, this means I'm going to be seeing some money coming out of the bank account here shortly. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll get think. back to you, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Take Jennifer. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go to our guest here coming up. And uh, they got, had a chance to pre-record this. I haven't heard it yet. Uh, Jennifer and uh, Karen pre-recorded this. We have had yesterday the, afternoon. We have had the winner of the Mongol Derby on for the last, like, 10 years. I mean, since this show started, we've been having the winners of the Mongol Derby on. And this year is no exception. Uh, I would say that, uh, you know, from what I saw, I didn't follow it as closely this year as I had in years past when we did coverage on it. But he just nailed this thing. (laughs) Uh, And there's a reason why, from what I hear from Jennifer. Uh So let's take a listen. This is Robert Long, 70 years old. And wins the Mongol Derby against all these, like, youngsters. So let's hear why in this interview with Bob Long. Bob, and a big congratulations to you on winning the Mongol Derby. Um, tell us, what inspired you to do this? Well, let's see, uh, Karen. I, um, first of all, thank you very much for your interest in the, uh, in the event and the story. It's a... Uh, it's kind of an obscure event out there, but it's really a big deal. My uh, my interest started back in October of 018. I was invited over to some friend's house, and they uh, started talking about the movie called All the Wild Horses. And that's a little short documentary about the race. Um, I finally got around to watching it a few days later, and I don't know, it took me about, 15 or 20 minutes to decide that that's something I could do. And, uh, and so from then on, it was all preparation and getting ready to go to the Derby. So tell us about your preparation. What did you do? Well, uh, for starters, there was, uh, I had a pretty, uh, I don't know whether it was because of my age or what, but I had a pretty significant, uh, review process in order to be accepted into the, the Derby competition. Um, I had to send in uh, performance videos and documentation of some of my writing capabilities. But oh, okay. um, after, after I got through that process, which was by the latter part of November, um, I started looking for people in Arizona that would let me ride their endurance horses to help condition endurance horses. So I spent uh, most of January, February, and about half of March riding uh, Arab horses in uh, Arizona down in the Phoenix area, riding uh, horses for people, trying to get as many miles in as I could. And, wow. and learn as in January, I couldn't even spell endurance. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I like to say, uh, uh, now I are one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> Anyhow, um, so I uh, rode endurance horses, and I learned about, you know, all of the things that you have to do to monitor your horse and pay attention to their condition and stuff, all of the things that you have to know about nutrition and hydration and, you know, pacing and everything goes along with riding uh, long distance. Uh, so I learned all of that, or at least I got 
I can't say that I learned it, but at least I got introduced to it in Arizona. I was writing with some people that are good friends of mine now. Uh, we okay. got to be pretty close down there. How much were you writing in a week? Uh, I was writing, I, I was, uh, toward the end, I met a person that had had knee surgery, and she had four horses to condition, so I was riding four horses 12 to 15 miles each every other day. Oh, so wow. I was riding, I was riding 150 miles a week, probably somewhere in there. Wow, I bet that got you in pretty good shape. Pretty good condition, pretty quick, too. Uh, I rode in a couple of endurance races where I actually competed in some 50-milers and um, had fun with that, and that gave me an idea of what a 50-mile day was. I never did uh, know what a 100-mile day was until I got to the Derby. I never, um, I think uh, 75 or 80 was the most I ever rode in one day. Wow. So tell us about your background. Well, I grew up in Wyoming. My uh, parents settled over in, uh, in in the Cheyenne, Laramie, Wyoming area. And um, I rode horses for uh, any chance I could get. I, I rode in the, you know, in the junior rodeos and I trained horses, uh, helped my dad train horses so that we could pay for our annual uh, feed expenses. Because uh, we had our own horses, I had Shetland ponies, and then I grew up into bigger horses. And yeah, I've just been riding horses since I can't remember I didn't, when I didn't have a horse. And what did you have to do to train yourself to navigate the way they oh. navigate on this event? Well, the, um, this was the first year that they didn't have a prescribed course, uh, so they uh, they loaded the waypoints for each horse station onto your GPS, and then you had to go from one horse station to the next. And uh, that was, I was averaging about two and a half to three hours between horses. Um, as far as preparation for it, I used my GPS the whole time I was in Arizona. And uh, when I moved back to Idaho in March, the weather got so warm in Idaho that I moved to a uh, quarter horse ranch in March, and I was helping them condition barrel racing horses and uh, uh, ropers, uh, headers, and healers, and any any horse that needed to have a, a conditioning program, I was there to ride them. Um, and so I would use my GPS and I would set up waypoints, and I would navigate to that waypoint and back, and I practiced with the GPS the whole time I was during my conditioning program. That helps me learn how to navigate. Um, and then, I don't know, uh, riding in Wyoming, I learned to, if you can help it, don't lose elevation, you know, stay at the same elevation and go across the hill. How did you keep your GP? GPS working? Did it run on batteries or was it rechargeable? My GPS ran on batteries and I took, uh, I took enough. I had, uh, I had pre con, you know, conditioned to the GPS. So I knew how long it would run on batteries. I can, mm -hmm. I could get three, I could get three full days out of my GPS. 
especially if wow. I turned it off at if I turned it off at night. So I took four sets of batteries with me on the trip, and they had to be weighed in. They were part of my uh, total body weight, were my uh, GPS batteries. So um, how much how much weight are you allowed to have or required to have? I lost thirty plus pounds. Oh wow! Um, from January till August, I personally lost thirty pounds of body weight. Um, you can uh, you can only weigh one hundred and eighty five pounds. Okay. Uh, that's with all you with all your gear. Uh, so with my hydration pack and all my nutritional supplements and my uh, sleeping gear and my rain gear and my, you know, foul weather gear, warm weather gear, everything, helmet, gloves, everything you need to ride for the next 10 days. I couldn't weigh over 185. Oh, wow. So how was the weather this year? We had uh, some pretty rough weather for the first three and a half days. It was like a fire hose. <laughs> it rained. It rained really hard for three and a half days on it. We, uh, um, which I don't know. I I enjoyed it, frankly, because you know I was used to riding in the cold weather and in uh, central Idaho, up in the mountains and stuff. I got to practice all my foul weather gear. <laughs> and then uh, growing up, growing up in Wyoming, I was used to riding in the heavy winds and uh, you know strong winds all the time. So it it wasn't uncomfortable for me. Uh, and I think the horses run better. They actually, you know, once you get them off the horse line and get them warmed up and stuff, they worked better for me. I think in the cool cooler weather. So, so I read- it was an advantage. It was an advantage for me. I thought. Sure. I enjoyed it. I bet it was. So tell us, I read about the blue ribbons you brought. Tell us about those. Oh, yes. I had a, um, well, over the years, we've, my friend and I, um, Stephanie and I used to, uh, we would keep all of our blue ribbons that we'd win at various horse shows and stuff. So we've got a box full of blue ribbons. And I just took a handful of blue ribbons with me with the idea that I would recognize a horse when he was really good. So I got into the habit of when I was in first place coming into a horse station, I would anoint that horse with a blue ribbon. I would, I would tie a blue ribbon in his tail. And um, I did that for the first horse. By the second horse, they started wrapping the tails for me so that I could put blue ribbons in all uh-huh. the horses' tails. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was really neat. Um, one time I got... Um, uh, I was met out on the prairie. This is out in nowhere. Uh, you can't see anything, and a little a black car comes out. It's the Mercedes Benz of the Russian cars. Turns out it was one of the uh, local elected officials, and I happened to be riding his personal horse. Oh, and neat. Uh, so we stopped and visited, and I took pictures, and they took pictures, and then uh, gave him a ribbon. I signed the back of the ribbon and told him how honored I was to ride his horse, which turns out uh, he, his horse had won the Nadam race four times in that district. So this was a hot rod horse. Um, <laughs> anyhow, Nadam is their national event. They have a Nadam festival once a year, and, and part of that festival is to have a horse race. Okay. And uh, 
And so to win in the Dom race, you're somebody, and to win it four times, you've got a good horse. So anyhow, I was fortunate enough to draw this horse, and I was riding him out across the prairie, and the 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 official and his wife and daughter came out and met me out there, and we visited and exchanged. He brought me a little package of, uh, I think it's snooze. I don't know what it is for sure, but it was, it's all in Mongolian. Uh-huh. <laughs> gave me a little, gave me a little gift and I gave him a blue ribbon for riding his horse. So That's it was neat. really fun. That's neat. So I put, put blue ribbons, any horse that I was in first place, I, I anointed with a blue ribbon. That's sort of a cool thing to do. You, yeah. I think you it honored, started it honored a tra- the her- tradition. Yeah. This this culture, uh, Karen, is really uh, horse-oriented, and, you know, anytime you can recognize the horse and the herdsmen that take care of them, uh, it was really a big deal. And so I I stumbled onto that pretty early uh-huh. in the trip, and the herdsmen were, um, were competing then for me to ride their horses for them. Neat. And so it was really fun. Yeah. It was really it pays fun, off yeah. to be thoughtful. That's great. Uh, right. What did you think of the food? Well, you know, I took uh, for the first four plus days. I stayed on my uh, planned nutrition program. I took. I was carrying um, energy uh, nutrition powders that I was mixing with water and drinking, and um, that kept me away from any foodborne illness that I might. Mm-hmm. Uh, contract while I was there, not being used to the food. Um, I drank their, obviously drank their warm tea, and I would drink the broth out of their noodle soups. They had a lot of stew, noodle broth. Once in a while, I would pick through and eat some of the more leaner pieces of meat. But um, So I drank a lot of their broth, and... Uh, I loved their fried breads. They had a fried bread that they would make when you come through the horse station, and, man, it was good. I'd fill my pockets up with that. And so I would eat fried breads when I was out on the road or, you know, on the trail running with the horses. Uh-huh. So. so if somebody had an interest in doing the Mongol Derby, what advice would you have for them? Well... My number one takeaway is preparation trumps youth. You can figure this out. <laughs> you can think through it and um, and plan it down, you know, and get conditioned and get uh, mentally ready for the ru- for the race. And uh, you know, I went. I-, I took advantage of an opportunity to go to a pre-derby session. Four days before the race, they hosted a little show and tell of the horses and of the equipment, and and I uh, I took advantage of that, and that mm-hmm. got me over my, my horse anxiety, and um, you know I I was able to understand the equipment, and I bought a saddle like I was going to ride in the Derby. I used that saddle for a little while here in the United States and got used to the saddle and. Anyhow, I just um, I'm just saying that if you prepare well enough, uh, you can be serious about. If you go there with the idea of winning, a lot of people went there with the idea of just enjoying the scenery and uh, just enjoy the ride. And 
you know, certainly I just, I just enjoyed mine a little faster than the others. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. I, I was just reading where it said Tom Morgan, the head of the adventurist, said that you were tougher than a box of concrete. <laughs> well, yeah, I heard that quote. Uh, um, I'm, you know, I'm honored. Uh, Tom and his team did a great job. This is, uh, this is a logistics nightmare, and, and uh, the only problems anything, you know, any problems they had were all rider-induced. Uh, you know, the riders would get in trouble and have problems, but it wasn't because it was poor planning on the leadership oh, okay. part. Uh-huh. They did really well. Um, so I was really pleased with the, and the veterinarian services. I can't tell you how, um, how important uh, the care and the routine maintenance of the horses was, you know, they, uh, every horse station, you have, first of all, you have to pulse down to 56, which is higher than most, uh, U S endurance races. Uh, right. So you had to be at, you have to be at 56 within 30 minutes of presenting to the vet. And then you had to go through a pretty rigorous, uh, lameness exam and a uh, rigorous hydration check. Um, uh, before you were allowed to go mm-hmm. pick your next horse. Um, so they took really good care of the horses. It was, uh, it was actually more important for the veterinarians than to take care of the riders. They took care of the horses first. That's great. <laughs> so do you think you'll be ever interested in riding endurance in the United States? Yeah, you know, I've considered that. Um, I was originally signed up to go to Tevis. Uh, before the Derby, and then this year they rescheduled Tevis so that uh, it was going to happen at the same time my Derby was. Right. So I had to let it go. Okay. Uh, but originally, originally I was on track. I had a conditioning program and and an agreement with some riders that I was going to ride one of their horses and go to Tevis and then go to the Mongolia. So that would have okay. been a fun well, challenge. There's, but There's always next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you can't ever well, tell. Well, um, well, lots of things have to come together for you to be able to get your conditioning program in, and you know, financially, it was a big uh, challenge for me, you know, because I chose not to be sponsored. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to have, I didn't want to have to deal with where to ride, who to ride, and when to ride. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> well, good for you. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us. I really liked talking to you. Congratulations again. Thank you very much for your interest. Hopefully, maybe I'll see you at Tevis next year or at another endurance ride. That would be good. Thank you very much, Karen. Well, uh, he was fascinating. I love him. I know. He did a great job. And he went in to to ride this and win. Youth, right? Yeah, he went in to ride. I love that quote, by the way. We're gonna we're gonna cut that out. Uh, So (laughs) use that again. No, he went in this to win. He prepared. He went in this to win. He took this very seriously. Uh, he did. And lost he lost a lot of the, weight, too. work and the effort, and uh, good for him. Yeah, well done. Well done, Bob. Well, I'm glad we, we got him on. And, you know, you do endurance rides and have l- done tens of thousands of miles now because of the help of one of our sponsors. Exactly. Renegade Hoof Boots, which you can find at renegadehoofboots.com. 
They make uh, two models of a strap-on version of a hoof boot, the Renegade Classic and the Renegade Viper. And they also make a glue-on version for those that want to glue boots on for the longer rides or multi-day rides. I prefer to use the strap-on boots just because they're so easy to put on, take off. Uh, They come in several different colors. You can match your tack. Um, let's see, what else do I want to say about them? Oh, yeah, we've been working. I've been helping them with some boot user tips on the news page, which is renegadehorseboot.com. So anybody that uses the boots and wants to improve their knowledge about using them, uh, we've got a, a post with videos on how to adjust cables, how to check for hoof balance, Uh, The difference between the two models, between, like, say, the Captivators, because they're meant for different shaped heels, how to figure out your sizing, and tips such as just how to attach them, all the different ways you can attach them to carry on your saddle. So check that out at renegadehorseboot.com. And if you're interested in purchasing the boots, go to renegadehoofboots.com. Very good. Thank you, Karen. Well, there's an app that's taking the long-distance riding world by storm and and bicycle riding world by storm, too, right? Exactly. And this is a fun app. I have played with it just on three kind of short rides so far, but it's really cool. My husband's also using it on his bike rides, and he likes it so far better than Strava. Um, It it's very accurate. I believe it to be very accurate because um, just based on what I've written with it so far. But what's really unique and special about it is that it can tell you uh, it can be made to, to make a route. If you're a ride manager that's doing an event where the riders have to follow a certain trail that will actually talk and tell them when and where to turn. So we're going to learn about that with our guest, Lancet Corner, who's a ride manager and an endurance writer herself and the creator of the app, Alex Gay. Well, good morning and thank you both for joining us. Let's talk about Ride with GPS. Let's start with Alex. Give us an overview of the app and what it does. Sure. Ride with GPS is an app and a website that allows you to plan routes and then on the app download them for offline use so you don't need to rely on cell service and then you'll get turn-by-turn voice navigation on the app to tell you when you turn when to turn when you've reached an an intersection Um, and so uh, you can view the map and view your route uh, in detail uh, without needing to be connected to Wi-Fi or to cell service. So if you're in the middle of nowhere and you get lost, we'll uh, have a, a tool for you there. If you go off course, we'll notify you if you're off course. And uh, we think it's a really great tool for riding horses um, as well as cycling uh, to help you find new rides, uh, plan rides, and Make sure when you're riding, you stay on course and don't get lost. I know it's a, it sounds great. I just talked to Lancet uh, the other day about this. And so, Lancet, tell us about actual, you know, in use of this app on your endurance ride. Okay. So, um, back in 
late 2017, uh, as luck would have it, my nephew came to visit and he had just finished a cross country Mexico to Canada bike ride. And at that time, I was really struggling trying to figure out what I was going to use for mapping uh, the course for the new Tano Twist 50. And I got to talking to him about what he had used. And he then told me about Ride with GPS and the great success that he had had using it on his cross-country months-long bike ride. And so when he told me that it also uh, did voice navigation turn-by-turn cues, I was sold immediately and jumped into it and uh, created the routes for the ride. And uh, what it allowed me to do was um, once all the routes were created, I then received a link. And this link then I sent to my riders once they signed up for the ride. This allowed them to pre-ride the course um, since it was all public land. So they, they could go out ahead of time and know the course before race day. Um, they download the maps and then they have it on their smartphone and boom, out, out they go. And the riders have uh, reported great success with it. And many have told me that they never want to do a ride without it. Well, sure. I mean, who wouldn't want somebody telling them when to turn and, and when they're off course, if, you right. know, if they miss a turn, that's, that's pretty cool i think i need so, to get this for jennifer don't you Karen? i think so i think jennifer would yeah, really that's like my wife she she sometimes has a little difficulty with that i have to be quiet a lot of the people room. are directionally <laughs> challenged absolutely for years i dreamt about having uh turn-by-turn navigation while on an endurance ride because as we all know ribbons uh get eaten by cows blown away in the wind and, um, you know, all sorts of things can happen. And it's just so reassuring to be able to pull out my phone if I need to look at it and just verify, yeah, I'm on course. And it just, it makes the ride so much more pleasurable um, because we can just really enjoy the scenery and the beauty of of where we're at. Um, And then, of course, the off-course warning. 164 feet, you go off course and you get this chime. It's a dun dun sound. And Uh you know, whoops, something's wrong. Okay. Well, that's good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, uh, how many of the riders, um, you know, chose to use this on your, on your last ride? So the first ride, I would say, um, it was probably 35% of the riders used the app and each subsequent ride has increased. I would say the last Tonto, probably 95% of the riders had downloaded the, the app and, and the course. And I can tell who's downloaded it um, by looking at, um, well, the members who have clicked on the link. So okay. now the biggest problem is just keeping your phone alive for the period of the ride. Uh, you don't have to worry about getting lost anymore. You just have to worry about your battery going dead over and over and over again. Actually, interestingly, um, I have done a test ride 30 miles long 
not using any of the battery saving tips that right. Ride with GPS uh, suggests. And I still had plenty of battery left after five hours. Um, but I always recommend that they follow the battery saving tips that Ride with GPS suggests. And I always carry a backup um, portable battery just in case. Good idea. Yes. I've okay, never had Alex, to use it. Alex, tell us what are the battery saving tips? Sure. So the main battery saving tip would be to keep your screen off as much as possible. There's ways to in the app to make sure that the screen only comes on when you reach a turn, and then we'll pop a notification that tells you where to turn, um, as well as the audio cue. Uh, another good battery-saving tip is to make sure you have the, phone, the, uh, the route downloaded for offline use. Also, to put your phone into airplane mode. Mm-hmm. So that you aren't using, so that your other apps aren't trying to draw power and and use that. Um, and uh, yeah, those are the the three the three top ones that I recommend. We have a a page on our website that that lists a few more. But with if you just did those three, you can make sure your battery is going to last for for your ride. Um, depends on the type of phone you're using as well correct sure yeah yeah Uh, newer phones will have uh, better battery life Um, older phones might have less battery life just because they've been used more and the battery has less capacity over time Uh, so if you are an older phone like Lancet recommended carrying a backup battery pack but typically, most phones can make it, uh, you know, at least five hours with uh, our battery-saving tips, and make sure that you have you have power for the the whole length of your ride. Right, and you can recharge with the portable battery pack or during a, a vet check hold. Right. Because I I know I've gotten a phone through Tavis, which was like. 30 hours because I kept recharging it at the hour holds. Um, So it it can be done. And I know an older phone, their batteries tend to go down a little quicker. That's why um, they have these portable battery packs, which are usually pretty useful to have. Um, So Lancet, tell us what's involved. If you go out, say you want to make a route for a course, either uh, for an endurance ride or just, to have a training ride that you can share with your friends. Um, What's involved with that? Okay. So what I did for the Tonto is I actually went out and I rode the course. Um, And I I had three different loops. And so I rode each one and then went back and um, worked on those routes. Like if there was a place that I went off on the wrong direction or um, I, I had to do circles for some reason. I would just clean up those routes. Um, so what you do is you, you that is considered a ride when you've recorded your, your ride. Then you create, you take your ride and you turn it into a route, um, which is done through the, the program. Um, on, I did it on my computer 
And then I added, I cleaned it up and I added voice cues and that sort of thing. So like a voice cue, it will say turn right, turn left. Oh, okay. So yeah, actually there's a whole list of voice cues that you can select from left turn, right turn, slight right, slight left. Um, and blonde so, right, blonde left. <laughs> right. <laughs> we do th- we, we that, that's an endurance writer's joke, Glenn, where uh I'll tell somebody turn right and they go left, and it's like, no, <laughs> the blonde other right, blonde left, the other one, <laughs> the other way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's actually a lot of choices. Um, and then you you make that selection and then you actually type in what you want it to say. Oh, you can type it in. What? Yes. Really? Wow. Yeah, so, so you can have it say, yes. make a left at the large tree with uh, Karen's name carved in the side. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Good. Right. I, I do try to keep my talking minimal and even as it was tempting to do a little bit of tour guide, uh-huh. uh, as I went, but I decided, no, this is a race. We've got to keep it, keep on course and um, make it straightforward. I didn't want to confuse anybody. So for the most part, um, I, I keep it very directional um, with the exception mm-hmm. of an occasional uh, rocky road ahead, five miles, enjoy it because it makes this ride possible. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's you know there's cool. yeah. right that happens in rides, right? It's not all uh-huh. uh, smooth sailing, right? Right, and and that way people know the landmarks. If you say you know at the uh, the old '67 Chevy that's rusted out, you know <laughs> exactly right or or whatever, um, then people then they know for sure that they're in the right place yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. it's very helpful so so that's kind of comforting so um okay so you can so once you create this then the writers can download it and then during the ride they don't actually need to have any kind of cell service right that's correct okay well that's that's kind of cool so, Alex, how long did it take you to cu- come up with this app and, and get it, um, you know, roadworthy, I guess you could say, trailworthy to, to be usable? Mm-hmm. So, Ride with GPS was started in 2007 by two, two friends, uh, Zach Ham and Colin King. Uh, they started this back in 2007 as a website for route planning. And then uh, about five years ago, the app was released so that you could then navigate those routes. Previous to the app being out, uh, we would offer route file downloads that you could upload to like a a bike Garmin computer. Um, But then once the app was out, I think that really changed uh, people's reliance on having to use a, a different device to navigate, you know, being able to use it on your phone is much nicer since you can have color maps, you can zoom in, you can get audio cues, whereas with most bike computers, you're only getting 
cues on the screen. So you'd have to read them. Um, so having the app available has been really great for us in terms of making navigating more accessible. Since everyone has a smartphone in their pocket, they can download our app and and use it. Okay, and this is this available for both Android and iPhones? Yeah, it is. It's available on okay, both, cool. and the app is free to download, and it's free to create an account with us. You can plan routes on our website for free, uh, downloading and navigating them the routes on the app does require a subscription um, and and what it, what is your website address it's ridewithgps.com and you'll find our app on the app store and google play store under ride with gps okay that's pretty simple mhm Okay. Well, thank you both, Alex and Lancet, for joining us and telling us about this app. We appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having us on. So are all rides adopting this? Karen? You know, so I'm not really sure how many have. I do know that there are a few in Arizona that, that have been using it. And I thought it was neat that she mentioned it went from like a third of the riders up to over 90% of the riders using it. Now, the your husband's a bike rider, right? Uh-huh. This would be perfect for bike riders too, obviously. He, I mean, yeah, yeah, he's been using it and so far he really likes it. It's yeah. got some features on it that he likes over using Strava, so uh we're going to just kind of both keep using it for a while and see what we think. So far I've recorded some rides and now I'm going to start converting them to routes and Len Lancet's been kind of helping me and she's um, willing to help other people that are interested in learning how to make this work for their endurance rides. So um, we'll maybe post some of that information later, but um, then I'm going to go out and see how it actually works as far as, I, I think it's really cool that it can, you can type in whatever you want it to tell you about, you know, Hey, you know, you missed a turn, go yeah, back. Hey, dumbass, you missed your turn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> You're headed towards a cliff. <laughs> go back. <laughs> so, uh, you, I think oops, that's, you shouldn't that's have made that cool. turn too late. <laughs> I know yeah. exactly. So get back on your I, horse I, and go back. <laughs> I would love it if uh, more rides adopted this and, and learned how to use this new technology and uh, applied it to now, their endurance rides. This is a it dumb question awesome. that I should know it. So most of the time you're out of cell service. Does your phone GPS still work? The GPS should ab absolutely still work. Okay. It should still pick up your GPS signal. Um, you know, there are times when you might be in a canyon or heavy tree cover where it blips out now and then, um, you know, but for the most part, for most rides, it's still going to work. All right. This was not a paid commercial. It's just something that uh, right. we found fascinating right. and thought we'd talk about. Uh, yeah. Technology coming to the sport. <laughs> so let's uh, go to our next guest and our final guest for the day. And <laughs> I don't know how much introduction she needs because you kind of do that in the uh, interview. Although I do want to talk to you a little bit after the interview. You pre-recorded this in person, your first time uh -huh. using, using your handy phone. <laughs> 
recorder. I know. Do this. So it turned out good. Let's uh, listen to Angela Wood and let her tell her story. Okay. I'm sitting here with Angela Wood from the Chat Track Challenge Hunger American Track. Thank you for joining us, Angela. Tell us about what it is you're doing. I'm traveling cross-country by horse and wagon to raise awareness of childhood hunger in America. Um, there's over 16 million hungry children in America, and I just think it's wrong that there's hungry children in America. So I decided I would travel by horse and wagon with a team across America to raise awareness of that fact. And when did you start? I started August 2nd of 2018. Wow. So you've been at this... 14, 13 months? 13 months. Wow. And how far have you gone in that time? 4,325 miles. Wow. Tell us about your horses. I've got two horses. One is Renegade. He's a 17-year-old American paint. And uh, he's his nickname is Grumpy Old Man. And then I've got Starbuck, who's a 10-year-old quarter horse, we think, because he's a rescue. And his nickname is Trouble. <laughs> Okay, well, tell us about his rescue. He was um, a four-year-old. I was I was with the group that went out to rescue him, and we got information that there was a horse that was down and starving. So the rescue was like, we need we need someone to go out and get him with truck and trailer. So I volunteered the truck and trailer, and we got out there, and there's just this, this pitiful bag of bones laying on the ground. We thought, well, we're too late. He's already dead. But we walked out to check for a pulse, and he lifted his head up about an inch off the ground and groaned and put it back down. That's all he could do. Wow. And it took, it was in, he was in a sling for three weeks before he could stand up for 30 minutes by himself. And now he's gone 4,300 miles. Correct. Pulling a 1,200-pound wagon. Correct. He's he's a tough he's a tough little boy. And and these horses, uh, Angela's staying with me on her track, Um between Nevada and California, where she's at right now. And these horses look fabulous. They have excellent weight. They look just perky, happy, hungry. Um, but they've got great weight for what they've been through. They look just phenomenal. They look quite muscular. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're very fit and strong. So give us an overview. What is this, your typical day like on the road when you're Oh, uh, I'm usually up driving. by I'm usually up by four thirty. I feed the horses, and then I pack my wagon up, and then I harness my horses up, and I'm usually on the road by 6 o'clock. Um, I like to get out early so it's cool. Cool. Now, during this winter, I wasn't getting on the road till 8 o'clock. I wanted <laughs> to warm up a little bit. But um, my typical day is I do about 20 miles a day, and sometimes I primitive camp, which is where I have no host. I'm just parking alongside the road. And other times I have a host like Karen here, and, and they take good care of me <laughs> and my horses. So, but typical day, sometimes traffic is heavy. Sometimes I don't see but maybe one car a day. Wow. And how far do you usually go in a day? About 20 miles. I like to do between 18 and 25 miles a day. And how far is the most you've done in a day? The most, my, my record for the most miles done in a day was 39 miles. And that was recently? That was recently across Nevada. Wow. And what happened there to cause you to go 39 miles? I was informed. It, it's the Great American Desert out there, the 40-mile desert. And I was told that there was a water hole ahead 30, mi 30 miles out. Well, it wound up being 39 miles out. And when I got there, there was no water. So, But I was trying to get from water hole to water hole. 
And so I was, you know, trying, and it just so happened that water hole was 39 miles away. So I was just trying to get to the water. And so tell us a little bit about your horse's diet. What are they eating and how are you keeping such great weight on them? I feed them 15 pounds of grain a day each and I'm feeding them strategy, H-E. Or if I can't get the strategy, H-E, I feed them uh, Safe Choice Senior or Triple Crown Complete. And the reason I feed those feeds is because I'm, I, I work on getting um, a high-protein, high-fat diet because that's what they need. The protein builds the muscles. The fat provides long-term energy. Mm-hmm. You can feed corn. Corn is a great food, but corn is a fast energy. It's there and it's done. It's gone. Fat fat uh, content, it burns slow so that, that the whole time they're walking and the whole time I'm working them, they have the energy to work. Right, right. And so um, how much water are you able to carry? And how much hay and how much feed, mm-hmm. actually? I carry, I can carry uh, up to 50, uh, 56 gallons of water when I'm fully loaded out on water, which is almost for, oh, for over 400 pounds of water. And I carry two bells of hay when I'm fully loaded out, which is a uh, hundred pounds, 200 pounds of hay. And I carry around 100 to 150 pounds of grain, um, in my little wagon. Wow. And that's enough food for my horses for four to five days. Okay. Because I feed, like I said, I feed 15 pounds a day a piece on grain. So that's 30 pounds of grain a day my horses go through. Wow. And so what are your nights like when you <clears throat> when you don't have a host? Very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 sleep, I sleep in my wagon. Um, and it's, it's, it's fascinating because you, you get to hear so much more when you're in the wagon. Because mm-hmm. it's not, in, it's not um, insulated. So when I'm sleeping in the wagon at night, I can hear the horses chewing on the hay. I'm here when they lay down and get mm-hmm. up. I hear the coyotes off in the distance. It's really quite primitive, honestly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's a really a, a feeling, unless you've, you're a camper and you've actually spent time outside in the wilderness just listening, it's amazing what you can hear. It is. It is. And so what kind of weather have you encountered? Oh, just about everything. Um, I think the most off-the-wall weather that I had to encounter was I I got four inches of snow on top of my wagon in two days, (laughs) and I couldn't go nowhere because of the snow. Um, But I think the worst thing I felt in weather out there was the wind. Wind, The wind during the winter is bitterly cold, Mm -hmm. and you can't – it goes right through your clothes. You You don't stay warm. And how many states have you been in so far? Around 15, I think. Okay, where did, and you started in? I started in Kentucky. Kentucky. And I went to Tennessee, then North Carolina, then back to Tennessee, then Arkansas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, Wyoming, and Idaho, and now Nevada. And pretty soon tomorrow, you'll be going into California. Yep, tomorrow I'll be in California. (laughs) And then what are your plans? And when I get to the coast in California, I'll be turning around and driving them home the same way I got there. <laughs> and so that's about another 3,000 more about miles? About another 3,000 more miles. And when do you think you'll finish? I'm hoping to finish by August of 2020. Okay, wow. What a track. So um, if somebody would like to contribute to your cause for um, children's hunger, what? how would they go about doing that? Um, I... I'm, I Contribute the money to nokidhungry.org. 
And that's where I've got my fundraiser going. <clears throat> and so you can go to my blog, which is on Facebook or on WordPress. Okay, we can post the links for that. Yes, please do. Okay. <laughs> trying to tell you the link is hard. On the on the on the WordPress blog, on the very on the very first blog under hunger, you'll see all the links for my my fundraiser I've got going. Okay, on. I'm trying to raise one dollar okay. per mile. Okay, and how's that going so far? It's going actually going excellent. Nevada has been extremely generous, um, especially Smith Valley. Mm-hmm. They they did a fundraiser in Smith Valley when I came through there, and they raised eight hundred and forty two dollars for my. Good, good job. So I've got a lot okay. of miles to do to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So that'll bring up that that brings up my my fundraiser to um, over five thousand dollars. Oh, good. So you've already earned more than a dollar a mile so right. far. So, so you're doing pretty good. I'm then. doing pretty good, and like I said, good. it's pretty impressive with Smith Valley. Good, good. And uh, anybody coming up on her um, route it would like to. Um, be a host, they can get in touch through your touch Facebook or your blog. Right. And offer to host you for and a night or me. for your maybe rest periods. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us how many days in a row do you go and how many days of rest do the horses get? I, I tend, I, in a nine day period, they, they get six days of work and three days off. But the way I do it, I drive three days, I rest one day, drive three days, I rest two days. Okay. That way, and on those two days of rest, I don't mess with my horses. I feed them and I let them be. I let them be horses. Mm-hmm. It's very important for them, their brains to reset and to rest. Right. Otherwise, they get all tight and upset. Uh-huh. Um, I found that out when I was, when I first started, I tried doing two day, five days on, two days off. And they seem to be a lot more tense, a lot more, I don't want to do this uh-huh. on that pattern. Then the pattern I've got them going right now. Okay. Well, they're sure doing great, and we wish you well, and thanks for joining us. And thank you for interviewing me and hosting me. Okay. So, wow, what a fascinating lady. First of all, a couple things. Um, I could not. I don't like myself enough to sit in a wagon for 13 hours a day by myself in a, this middle of this country <laughs> looking at absolutely nothing. She do does it. have a little chihuahua with her. Oh, okay, yeah. No, I still don't like myself that much. You have to really like yourself to want to spend that much time with yourself. Oh. And not mind just being alone and solitary. And My um, ADD would kick in in about two hours and I'd be done. That'd be day one. I know, I think I, w- I would have probably lasted a day maybe. That would have been it too. You're used to riding, but you're used to riding with people. I mean... Yes, I, it's different. I think when you're, you know, riding a saddle horse versus driving in a wagon all day, it takes a, a certain type of person. She's definitely dedicated to her cause. I would say so. My God. So, a couple questions. One is the horse's feet. Does she have shoes? And uh, yes, they're shot. Yeah, and uh, uh, Borium on them. How does she? Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I, I just know that she's been getting them shod and uh, their feet all look good to me. I mean, the horses overall looked really fantastic. They did. <laughs> and it was yeah. quite an odd combination of horses, actually, for driving. It's not what you normally <laughs> see. Uh, I was surprised at the difference, you know, because they're quite a bit different in size, that that would work with the hitch uh, as far as not causing any kind of imbalances or tack rubs or anything. You know, I guess the the only thing that would 
being a driver, the only thing that would be a problem is their different strides, if they had different strides. Exactly. Uh, and yeah. the smaller horse, Starbuck, he does have to kind of jog and trot to keep up yeah. with Renegade's walk. Yeah, that's the problem a really you run fast into. Uh, and right. I assume she's just walking most of the time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, another question is, what does she eat? You talked about what the horses eat, but I, don't, I didn't hear anything about what she eats. Right. She told me what she carries for herself is granola bars and peanut butter. And Ugh. because it doesn't go perishable <laughs> and... Okay, so I wouldn't have made it past lunch the first day. <laughs> <laughs> that's what she's eating, except for when she finds a host. Uh, like we fed her and she's had other hosts that feed her and help take care of her. Otherwise, it's peanut butter and granola bars. Oh, how long would you last doing that? Not very long. No. <laughs> no, Maybe. I, don't. I don't like peanut butter that much. I like peanut butter cups. I like peanut butter and chocolate. (laughs) But you know what? It's funny. We interviewed Steve. uh, I just did a show with Steve Adams, who just hiked the Appalachian Trail for the second time on his podcast. I interviewed him in Mighty Blue and the Appalachian Trail, and he was going through a tub of peanut butter every two days. Just eating it by the spoonful. And I would just be thirsty all the time. Wow. You know, could you do that? I can't eat it by the spoonful. I just can't. No, you know, one of the things when we were doing cross-country rides, uh, I would buy bagels because the bagels didn't squish up so much in your saddlebag. That's true. They're tougher. Right. So I would do like peanut butter and a bagel (laughs) for lunch. But it was one, one, you know, one meal a day. (laughs) Not all day, every day for 4,000 miles. (laughs) (laughs) 13 months. I know. She's, She's... tough for sure yeah she's tough i give her that well god bless her i know she's trying to make it to the ocean and california is going to be a tough state to do that in isn't it it is there's a lot of road construction going on right now a lot of the there's no back roads either in a lot of the places there's not a lot of freeways and highways and a lot more population i think than she has seen through most of the rest of the country so um it could get really challenging for her if she needs to refill her horse's food supplies every three or four days you and i have both driven on those roads (laughs) in northern (laughs) california they're twisty windy with no shoulders and barely a room for a car and a half I don't right. know how I would I would it, not drive my horses on that only because there are all these turns too. car comes around the turn too fast and you're done. Oh, sure. We've yeah. got hay trucks and logging trucks and a lot of semis. Um, yeah. So hopefully she'll be able to uh, figure, you know, she, I think she may need to go further north. The problem is, is she's starting to run short on time in order to get over there and back before the snow starts this winter uh, right um she's Is she gonna, gonna be take a more southern route for the winter going back yes yeah okay Heading arizona south. new mexico yeah. texas all down there exactly yeah when you're only doing what 15 20 miles a day it takes a long time to get anywhere <laughs> it like... sure can <laughs> <laughs> you know i grew up in Lancaster county pennsylvania of course home, home of the amish and buggies everywhere and one of the things we, in driver's ed, we actually learned about how to prepare and deal with buggies. And one of the things was you have to be ready every time you're coming over a hill that there could be a buggy uh-huh. right in front of you. Um, right. So we were taught to slow down coming up over hills. And the buggy accidents, and they happen all the time, they still do, the buggy accidents that happened usually were people that did not grow up there. They were either tourists uh-huh. or people sense. that just moved there because they didn't mm-hmm. anticipate that out around every turn there could be a slow-moving buggy. 
right. um, filled with kids, right. you know? So yeah. we had to always prepare for that, and you had to always think about when you were passing them, you know, and, you know, it helped if you knew the roads. But Well, she is sensible, for sure, because uh, we did take her, we pre-rode her next two days from when she left my place and showed her that the roads were narrow and windy. Oh, so she got the scout and out of no it. shoulder. And so she did call for somebody to come and move her. So she did not drive up over Carson uh, Pass good. up there. That's so that's pretty hilly. <laughs> Oh, gosh, yes. It's, it's something just to haul horses in a horse trailer over. Did she have brakes uh, you know, on the wagon? Yes. Handbrake or foot brake? I'm not really sure, but she does have brakes. Okay. And um, on the back of the wagon, she does have flashing lights okay. and a big tall pole with a flashing light on the top of it. So she is going to be a little bit more visible. But um, like you said, with all those turns and stuff and... And in California, a lot of people are in a hurry. No. Especially if they're a tourist <laughs> coming up to Tahoe and back. Really? They're in a hurry in California. Didn't I they? know. <laughs> Too many people. Because they sit in traffic going nowhere for so long that when the road finally opens up, they go a thousand miles an hour. Uh-huh. I know. <laughs> well, this has been a fun show, Karen. Thank you so much for putting it together. And happy birthday sure. again. Oh, thank you. Let me just mention the AARC National yeah. Championship Ride is coming up okay. in Ridgecrest, California, which is the Pacific South region. And it may be a long time, folks, before we get a national championship back on the West Coast. So uh, plan on this event for October 31st is a 50 and November 2nd is the 100. If you're not able to ride, then consider volunteering. And you can uh, go to AERC.org to find out more information about that ride, as well as many other rides all over the country. All right. Very good. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us, everybody. We really appreciate it. We'll be back. Karen is here the uh, second Tuesday of every month. You can go back and listen to all of Karen's past episodes. Go to horsesinthemorning.com. Scroll down in the middle of the page. You'll see all kinds of little banners of all our monthly episodes. Click on Endurance, and it'll bring you to all her past episodes all in one place. You can go take a listen to them. They're all like six, seven years worth. Uh You can find them there. Karen, where can they find you? Um, KarenChatton.com. And you have years and years worth of posts there, blog posts there about mm-hmm. endurance riding and lists and all kinds of stuff. You definitely need to check check it out. You could you go down a rabbit hole pretty quick there if you're interested in endurance. <laughs> you should go back. All the information still evergreen, still relevant. So uh, whether she wrote it 10 years ago or not, you're still packing the same stuff. Mostly, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Except for what wore out. <laughs> That's right. And maybe a new app or two on your phone. Thank you to all yeah. the guests. Okay. Congratulations to Bob on a terrific year at the Mongol Derby. I wonder if, you know, I don't think he'll do it next year. The thing that stops people from doing it for multiple years is the cost. I it's, bet. it's like sixteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars total by the time you're done. By the time you're done, your entry fees like twelve, thirteen thousand. Getting there, uh-huh. just everything. It's just very expensive. So it'd be cool to see if he could do it again. But I, I don't know. That's the cost is always a factor. Well, maybe next year he can do Tevis. Well, there you go. That'd be fun uh, for him. That'd maybe. be nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's one a day's day. ride yeah that's no big Just deal one day <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't have to eat uh, fermented mare's milk so there's that <laughs> i thought that was interesting too he was smart in every way he had obviously studied this about not eating the food he i had, know he had studied this in every way he was ready he wanted to he win had this. the protein powder yeah. and had it all worked out 
Yeah, he was careful. Good for him. And and what was really great is he knew exactly how many batteries he needed to bring. Now, I know as we get older, us guys, we have to go to the bathroom more. I, that's the only thing. I wonder how many times he had to get up and down off that horse. I just... <laughs> Well, luckily they're small, right? Yeah, that's true. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's good. True. He wasn't getting on a 17-hand horse. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much All for right. joining us. We appreciate it, everybody. And Thanks I'm going to end the day with this. Happy birthday.